This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. It's Tuesday. It's still snowing in a lot of places, though the Northeast looks like it's warming up a little bit. Uh, the weather down here in South Florida, I'm sure everyone hates me, but it's uh, in the 80s, a little humid, quite a bit of rain. Um, honestly, the forecast for rain looked a little worse than what's actually taking place at Gulfstream, so potentially a couple of the races that you might have thought we're going to be moved off the turf course tomorrow for their card. They have six out of the 10 races are scheduled for the, for the grass. Um, they might wind up keeping a couple of those on, which of course doesn't make it any easier to handicap when you're kind of having to handicap which horses or which races might, might stay on and which races, uh, might come off. But, um, uh, I mean, it could we could have a huge downpour all night, and and that might be a moot point. But it's it's been very wet and it's very humid, so uh, so there's a great great potential for at least the early races being moved off of the uh, the turf course tomorrow at Gulfstream. I don't think there's a whole lot of action um, in the country tomorrow outside of Gulfstream. Gulfstream certainly should have the uh, the you know the limelight to mostly to itself. They did not run. Yesterday on President's Day, which is uh, different than uh, the schedules of the past few years where they had run a, a bunch, a series of starter uh, stakes, essentially starter allowance races with uh, uh, a little bit of money added to them called stake races. But um, for whatever reason, they, they chose not to do that this year. So um, they're, they're having their, their normal uh, Wednesday through Sunday schedule so uh again uh, uh in early in the day it sure looked like tomorrow's races were, were not going to be on the the turf but um unfortunately it looks like it's going to be uh a, a call tomorrow morning so so that way that added away we have um we have a few guests today ron moquette is going to join us from uh, icy oaklawn park snowy Oaklawn Park or unseasonably wintry Oaklawn Park. Um, kind of trying to keep Ron from getting a little bit of a uh, uh, snow craze. You know, he's not used to dealing with uh, this many days off. They've, they've haven't trained at Oaklawn, I, I believe since Friday. And with the storms moving in, it looks like they're probably going to miss most of this week they've already canceled this weekend's racing um and we'll you know get into that a little bit more with ron but uh, i think the one thing people have to realize is that it's very difficult to to run horses that haven't trained for uh six seven eight days in a row um it especially in, in less than ideal conditions it's uh um uh, it's, a, it's a very very tough situation they're 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 in there and um it, it's just unusual for the the weather to be as as bad as it's been, and 
and it's not even as bad there as it is in Texas, where it's, it's just causing uh, havoc. And uh, I, I saw Don Stevens had put a picture up of the Delta Downs racetrack, which resembles an ice skating rink. Delta Downs is, is in Louisiana, but it's in western Louisiana. Really, it, it's more like um, eastern Texas. Uh, Sam Houston there was a picture yesterday where it was 13 degrees and their their track was was covered in, in snow and everything was frozen. Uh, it's just been weather has been terrible lately, and and uh, you know that's one of the, the advantages of coming to Florida in the winter time, and uh, you know being in Southern California and that you're just never going to get quite uh, hit like these these poor guys are, are hit. Um, I was talking about uh, this on the podcast with Barry last night. The last year I was up north training horses, I had 27, 26, 27 horses in training. And this was, I believe it was 2014. And going into the Monmouth meet in May, I believe I had five starts on the year. And that's with 27 horses in training. And it wasn't as though they were a bunch of horses off layoffs. These were racehorses. And it just was that difficult because of missing training of races being canceled and then races not going and um you know trying to find the right race at the right time and it's very difficult when you can't train your horse uh, even semi properly when you're at, at a situation where you can just jog them or maybe lope them a little but you can't really do any speed work um you know for some of the older cheaper claimers that's not a big deal but for younger horses, it is, and you get to where you're not exactly sure where your your fitness levels are at, and um, it, it it's really difficult to to ask horses to really just completely stop or slow down their training, or uh, then once it, you're started back up to try to like just uh, you know speed it right back up. It's it's tough. Um, it's an inexact science for sure, and then even when the weather is okay. You're still dealing with cold. You're still dealing with wind. You're still dealing with uh, at night. A, a lot of times you'll you'll get down to where uh, the temperatures are, are cold enough where the track might get a little bit crunchy. And um, we, we were at Turfway Park years ago when they first uh, put the poly track in. They claimed that poly track doesn't freeze, which which uh, you know I, I I guess you know was probably true. But the problem is that. When there's moisture in the air, that water will still freeze, even if it's it's integrated into the racetrack, it's still going to freeze. So you would get clumps. Uh, and we were in a situation at um, at Turfway where we were kind of learning how to to deal with the the synthetic tracks. And for a while, we were running the horses barefoot, and in the paddock uh, after we put the saddles on them literally spraying um, Pam cooking oil on the bottom of their feet so that the the track wouldn't ball up and, and get stuck in, in their feet, which, um, you know, wasn't something that uh, was supposed to happen, but it did. Now, Tapita is, is mostly used in this country, uh, Michael Dickinson's company, and uh, it, it's evolved. I mean, the synthetic tracks, of course, have, have gotten better. Um, there's been a lot of talk about you know, potentially seeing a synthetic track at Gulfstream as a, a third surface. Um, again, I, I don't, 
I don't endorse that move. I don't uh, disagree with the move either. I, I'm just kind of neutral on it. And um, certainly there'll be times, especially the rainy times, where it'll be beneficial. But uh, but it also adds another layer of, of surfaces. And, and I think one of the problems we have, and um, Jonathan Stetton did a, a, um, a podcast on with Jeffrey Metz, who's a trainer out in California, about um, conditions and the condition book. And I think that it, it's a timely, it's a, it's a, it's, it's nicely done and, and it's a timely topic, certainly. But the problem we're having with condition books lately is that number one, there's just not enough horses. Number two, a lot of the same horses are located in the same barns in, in, in that, um, um, Todd Pletcher doesn't have a lot of 62-5 claimers and 8 claimers and 10 claimers. Uh, he has mostly allowance and maidens and stake horses. Meanwhile, uh, some of the you know the, the year-round claiming trainers at Goldstream are guys that have almost exclusively uh, those type of horses. So they don't have any maidens and they don't have any allowance horses and they don't have stake horses. So you see a lot of redundancy and, and uh, one of the reasons why you'll see a lot of Gulfstream Park, big trainers. You'll see Bill Mott, Chug McGahee, Chris Clement, um, Graham Motion, um, Pletcher to a lesser extent, uh, shipping to Tampa to run uh, in maiden races and, and allowance races on the grass especially. And one of the, the chief reasons for that is that they have so many of the same type of horses ready at the same time. And even in situations where you're running two at a time, um, you know, with, with uncoupled entries, you still wind up, you know, getting just, you know, too many horses ready to, to run it at the same time. And, and you're just, you know, looking for outlets. Um, and, you know, Gulfstream tomorrow is running six races on the turf. And uh, I don't have any problem with that. I mean, turf racing is popular. People want to race on it. People want to bet on it. The problem is days like uh, like today when, you know, you might see your, the card get crushed. And unlike the old days where you really had an incentive to stay in and off the turf race. And I worked for Tom Skiffington for a while and there was no one in the history of horse racing that, that uh, I'm not going to say he enjoyed scratching, but he did not hesitate to scratch when a race came off the turf. <laughs> it was Tom Skiffington. He wanted his, he was before his time. He truly was. In that he trained mostly grass horses. He had a certain level of horse he wanted to train, and he did not want anything below that. Uh, but he also was was extremely particular about picking spots, and he would give horses more time in between races. And he wanted to be five to two or less in a spot. He literally didn't want to run if the horse was was higher than five to two. And he was actually one of the first guys that that paid attention to win percentage and. Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit on Twitter this morning about, um, um, well, we were talking about Frank Passaro and uh, his, uh, I guess about 20 years ago or 25 years ago, he went, he went on, I think, a 14-race winning streak. He won like 19 of 21 at Gulfstream. And this is back when we actually had uh, our um, investigators on the grounds be, uh, from the state and, and from... Um, the uh, TRPB uh, was was still really functioning. Now I think they're 
they're still around, but I think mostly they do wagering security. I don't know that they even have anyone on the ground anymore. I really don't even know. But um, what they had caught was was the grooms were putting um, a substance that was used to put on bandages. It was a pepper, hot pepper, cayenne pepper substance that you would put on a horse's bandage to keep them from chewing off because sometimes horses just don't want the bandages on. They'll try to chew them off. And they were rubbing this on the horse's crotch areas. And, um, you know, they, they, they got in all kinds of trouble for that. Uh, uh, and, then, and then we kind of morphed into, um, I, I'm not even sure how we got onto this, but we talked about Wild again and, and, and him winning uh, the first Breeders' Cup Classic. And they, uh, the owners, uh, the Breeders' first Breeders' Cup Classic was a $3 million race. And Wild again was not. Uh, nominated to the race, and he had to be supplemented to the the Breeders' Cup Classic at the cost of $360,000. So it cost $360,000 for him to enter the race, and the money was not added onto the purse, which, of course, probably would have been a more equitable way of of uh, of doing it. The money was, was not added onto the purse. So, um, you know, he wound up winning the race in, in like one of the, uh, you know, the biggest upsets in, in racing history. Pat Day with a, with just a, a legendary ride. Uh, he, he literally didn't hit the horse the, the entire stretch um, and, and held off the, the horse uh, who was considered by far the best horse in training at the time, Slew of Gold, who was dealing with a, a quarter crack and, uh, and the, the the famous gate dancer who who's more probably famous for his uh his uh he he wore uh he, he was kind of a particular horse he was by sovereign dancer and sovereign dancers generally were mean kind of crazy horses and he wore earmuffs to try to keep the sound out to try to keep him uh concentrating on what he was doing and and uh it, it was really a great race i mean if you haven't never seen the 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 first breeders cup um, I think there's a couple good videos out there on YouTube and, and the, the Breeders' Cup Classic for that year. It was uh, was really a great, great race. And there's actually a TVG uh, years ago did a um, some uh, interviews with jockeys about certain races. And uh, they did an interview about with Pat Day about Wild Again. And he kind of takes you through the you know, the, the whole race and wild again was, was a rank outsider. He was like 30 something to one. He had finished third in his last race and in, in a minor race at uh, Bay Meadows. So for him to win the, the world's richest race at the time was, was kind of a, a really huge upset. Um, I don't even know where, you know, how, how we got on those things, but, um, it's funny that, um, <laughs> you know, you can talk about some of those, those, uh, those items, and you know how, how how racing has has changed, but it, it's it's it hasn't changed. And and uh, I, I was, we were just thinking about how crazy would it be um, if the Frank Passero incident had had happened now, um, and the you know the the literal outrage that would happen. I mean, it would people be freaking out about animal cruelty and things like that. And back then, I mean, it was a big deal at the track, but um, I, I don't I don't remember it really attracting a lot of outside attention, other than maybe the the South uh, Florida 
uh, like Sun Sentinel or the the Miami papers. But um, you know, it certainly wouldn't. It certainly wasn't the story that it would be now. It, it would be uh, it would be a really huge negative story. But um, but the more the, the like I said, the more the game changes, the more it stays the same. Um, I believe we have Mr. Moketa. Is Ron? Are you there? Yeah, how's it going? I'm happy to to know that your phones are still working out out there in the in the Arctic down there in Arkansas. So uh, frozen tundra. How are you making out today? Well, we were we just got through shed rolling some horses and uh, and other than the uh, the big road grader that's on the track getting the snow off, that's the only action that track has seen or probably will see for a couple of days. So they're trying to keep the snow off the track as much as possible? Yeah, we're supposed to get uh, another, you know, 8 to 12 inches dumped on us tonight. Wow. Now, you've been going there for how long, Ron? This is my 22nd year of coming to Hot Springs. I've never seen so much as, as 4 inches, and I've seen that probably three times. And... Even furthermore, living in Arkansas, I was raised on the border of Arkansas and Oklahoma. We never saw anything. I mean, my entire life, I don't think I've ever seen more than, than, you know, five or six inches of snow at one particular gathering. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not our, our thing. We get a little ice and we get tornadoes and we get hot sun and, but we hardly ever see this kind of snow. I saw on the National Weather Service this morning had put out um, an alert that in the Midwest from North Dakota down to South Dakota, Nebraska, right, right into Northern Oklahoma, where the temperatures were going to be minus 15 to 20, minus 25. And I mean, that, that's not that far from where you guys are. No, well, it was not, it was minus six here this morning. Minus six. That's just crazy. Yeah, this this hot springs thing is uh is you know <laughs> evidently they didn't read the directions because it's supposed to be hot you know but uh, it is funny when you go downtown uh, they they've got the the spring that that comes out all the time and and uh, you know it, it's still coming even though that everything around it's froze that that hot water still coming out of the mountain. Yeah, I guess you go deep enough, and and that's uh, that's it's, you know gets to be where it's unaffected by the surface temperature. I think the same thing happens in Saratoga when they have the you know they have all those springs. Uh, I think that they continue to 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 keep bubbling over even when it's uh, really cold. One of the things that people people forget is that we are on a um, you know we're on a we're in a natural in a natural uh, a national park and. We're over a body of water, you know. There's a there's these underground streams and everything, so we can't just put salt or chemicals on the track or anything like that, like you could in New York or or on the East Coast. Whenever you get a little a little freezing temperature, you can go out there and treat it with some chemicals and go right on. And it's always funny to me when you you see the uh, the people commenting like, I, "It's just." You know they're able to run in at Aqueduct. Why can't they run here? Well, we we have a different set of real, rules here, and it all has to do with the environment. Yeah, uh, listen. When it's minus six, they don't run at Aqueduct either. They don't run anywhere anymore. <laughs> I, I remember, you know, when I was a kid growing up. Uh, like tracks just didn't cancel, but of course, most tracks that back then their only 
you know, source of revenue was, was racing. So they, they weren't looking to cancel. Now we have a lot of tracks that are tied to casinos and, uh, you know, so the, the, it seems like they're, they're taking advantage of, of any opportunity to, to try to, to cancel. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, unseasonably cold there. It's, it's, I mean, I always have heard from you guys about, uh, I, I only had horses there one time and, um, I, I'm, I was, I wasn't there like you know, hardly at all. Uh, number one, one of the reasons was it was just hard to get to, um, especially when the weather's not great, but, um, you know, we heard about ice and, and how you would guys would wind up training in the afternoon some days because, uh, you know, you'd have to wait for the track to literally thaw out. But, uh, but this is like just crazy. And I mean, last weekend we lost so many races all over the country. I mean, Sam Houston, they were canceled Turfway, They missed the weekend. Um, uh, you know, all, all, all throughout the Midwest, uh, just, just been impossible to race. It's, um, it's odd. I mean, we actually just canceled. I had a horse that was supposed to run at Delta this week and they've, uh, they canceled Delta because of the freezing weather. And, you know, that's, that's kind of far down there between Houston and there to be having issues with winter weather is odd for me. But, uh, you touched on one thing about the casinos. Uh, now that we're casino driven, a lot of people look for reasons to cancel. And I'd say that's, you know, whenever I was at different places with casinos, racinos or whatever, I'd always say, you know, if a, if a frog went wee on the track, they would say it was unsafe and cancel and whatever. The difference of that here is this, we are basically, you know how when we went to Vegas, how everybody went to Vegas and, and people, people would uh, be attracted by the slot machines and the gambling, and then all of a sudden it quit, and then it was whoever had the shows. They'd bring Cher and Elvis Presley and all this, and whoever had the shows, that casino would handle more because they had the attraction. Well, Oakland is, is very smart in the fact that they realized that their foot traffic in the casino is so much more when we have live racing that in the handle in the casino is, uh, is reflective of every day that we run races. So it's actually, you know, it's not, I couldn't say that about Delaware or Iowa or Indiana or any of these other places with racinos, but hot springs, whenever, whenever we're running the races, everybody is impacted positively. Mm-hmm. And the casino does, a lot more work and a lot more revenue and and the town the town the whole thing it's like uh, the race is kind of is the is the fuel for the town so i was i knew whenever they started canceling that it was a a deal that was thought out and and you know they they tried everything possible and i was you know, I had some horses that were live in races that I don't know if they're going to come back. So selfishly, I was going, "Man, we got to try harder." You know, but at the same time, they're doing the they're doing the very best and uh, that they can, given the the circumstances, and uh, and they're they're taking it in the wallet as well. So I'm I'm very proud of the fact that they're going to give us some makeup days. Uh, they've already announced that, and they're going to add races where they can. Right. Um, you know, to try to make up so we can, we can actually, and, and I was at places before being at Delaware or whatever, that if you just canceled a race, they wouldn't give you nothing. They'd be like, okay, well, no big deal. We'll see you next year. But yeah. I, I'm very proud of the fact that they, they have, 
they have established a pattern of they make more money when we're in town, so we get to be the attraction. Yeah, that that's a positive because to be honest with you, it's it's, it's kind of like the elephant in the room in in a lot of places um, where we have to kind of pretend along with management of the racinos that they actually give a shit about racing when virtually everything they do that's that's uh you know it's geared towards promoting the the casino side but um you know oakland does seem to actually uh care about the racing and i know you know the the town it's a unique place and that the town is geared towards it and it's uh you know you get great crowds and um you know and, and i think it helps too that it's not uh, a 12 month meet either it, it's you know you have what three and a half months sure. so it, it's kind of concentrated and if you miss it then you have to wait um till uh you know till next year it's kind of like a saratoga thing where people uh they plan their summer vacations around going you, to saratoga it's more like saratoga than any place i've been uh the with the exception of we don't get i was i was always puzzled. I mean, the purses come up and I'm going, why are the top riders not here? We've got, you know, and I'm not saying that we don't have top riders, but usually the the purse structure dictates where the the top five ranked riders in the country are at, you know, and sometimes you could say, okay, well, you know, well, they're at, they're at Florida because they're top outfits. Well, there's top outfits here. Or they're at Santa Anita because the purse structure is, well, okay, but we've got bigger money than them. And you're trying to figure out. And I've heard all the reasons why the riders didn't come to Hot Springs. And the best one that I've ever heard was from a, a rider that is now retired that told me there is nothing to do in Hot Springs <laughs> except go to the races. Yeah, well, when you go to races, he said that the town evaporates at night. There is no nightlife. You go to New Orleans, there's all the great restaurants and the clubs and the whatever. Hot Springs, they they come here for the races and they leave immediately after. Well, you know, the top jocks do not seem to have any problem flying in and running for those huge money purse, uh, purses. The stakes, at least, uh, you're getting a lot oh, of out for of sure, those. But, um, well, you know, weather probably doesn't, you know, the fact that Santa Anita and, and uh, Gulfstream Park in particular aren't, aren't dealing with much rough weather. I mean, for us, rough weather here is a little bit of humidity and some rain. So it's... Uh, uh, I used to joke around with Santana because everybody was trying to get him out of here, and I'm, I've got a good relationship with him. And I said, you know, hey, they said that, the you know, it's very nice. You get to go to the beach at Gulfstream. I'm like, hey, I know it's cold here, but it's... Always sunny and seventy when you're cashing those checks. Listen, if I was his agent, I'd say, "Listen, kid, when you get days, you can go to Gulfstream and, <laughs> and sit on yeah. the beach for a couple of days." <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. but uh, no, it, it's it's true. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, and this is kind of a a little bit of a tangent, but the truth of the matter is that the the depth of top riders is narrower these days because of super trainers and. The fact that the horses aren't divided up in 40 different barns, they're divided up in 12 or 13 different top barns. So they just don't require the, the, as many jockeys. And I think Eric Cancel is a great example of a guy who, who kind of shuffles along a little bit in New York. And, um, you know, he, he, for whatever reason, uh, he, he's picked up a lot of uh, Jose Lescano's mounts, um, you know, because Jose's out and, and there's uh, not a real 
you know, um, front Manny Franco, I guess would be considered the biggest quote unquote name him or Carmouche. But, you know, all of a sudden Cancel's winning a lot and, and it's just a matter of opportunity in so many cases. But, uh, I know Florent Drew had they had decided um, they were going to come to Oaklawn. Um, you know they were going to leave Fairgrounds because they've been going to the fairgrounds for for years and years. So I think uh, you know part of it is just just uh, you know there's so and, and, I think and, you're right. And then you look at Tampa, like Tampa has has uh, uh, you know the jocks. It's an overflow jock room. They have so many guys coming from so many different spots, and they say, well, we're not going to get mounts at Oaklawn. We're not going to get mounts at. Uh, at Gulfstream, uh, or you know, sure ain't gonna get mounts at the fairgrounds with all the Louisiana guys, so we don't have anywhere else to go. Though, uh, you know, Ray Lou Gutierrez went to um, to Sam Houston this year, which which seemed like a good move, and uh, Sam Houston seems like they're doing really well, Ron. And uh, you know, I know you've 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 run over there a lot, and um, you know, their purse they have a purse increase they just announced, and to be completely honest that their purses aren't a whole lot less than than what you're running for at Gulfstream. Yeah, it's um the super trainer deal and what I first off I want to be sure to to say I do not blame anyone for holding a huge operation. I've fought against that my entire life. I've always said I don't care how good a job I could do with with 200, I could do better with 40. But with you know Based on getting the most out of the individual horse, but I've now, I've now wondered, you know, for years, why would people want the big numbers? And now I, I understand it. It's the opportunity. You get a lot of opportunity. The, you know, whenever you get the large numbers, uh, you know, I, I don't blame anyone for doing it. And these guys are good horsemen and good trainers, and I'm not knocking anyone. But at the same time, I believe that the the size of these people's stables is by far and away the biggest contributing factor to the decline of the sport on many different on many different uh, fronts. You know, you're talking about the jocks, and and you're talking about uh, you know field size and and all this other. But you know, I've dealt with it firsthand quite a bit, I've, and I've. I've been offered the chance to get a little bigger and, and I never did. And I, and I thought, you know, I was doing the right thing and maybe I was for me. And, but at the same time, these, these guys getting the, these opportunities are, you know, they're supposed to take them, but it's still, it affects everything. You know, I'll, I'll be, I'll talk to a guy that's going to ride a top horse for me and, and I'll say, can you ride this horse? And he'll be like, ah, I have to check with so-and-so. But your agent? No, no, no. Uh, another trainer, he's got two or three maidens I have to ride that day. I'm like, okay, so me getting a rider for a top race has to do with the overall power of another outfit. You know, and I was, I was thinking, too, you know, why is Dan and, and Zenyatta and these guys I'm not 100% sure that those horses would have been Wise Dan and Zenyatta in some of these huge outfits. Maybe they would have. Maybe they'd have been bigger. I've seen these, these same groups develop some really nice horses and do a great job and can't knock it. But at the same time, I just have to question myself because I know how I am that there's no way that you can take care of, to me, the 
horses just personnel wise. My personnel deteriorates after after forty five or fifty horses to the point to where we're just doing it instead of doing it the way that I want it done. And I just don't see where everyone in the sport, owner wise, are individuals. Somebody made their money in, in storage building, somebody made their money in oil and gas, somebody else a car dealer. Somebody else is a tech guy. All these people make their money in all these different deals with being individual thinking, pioneers, outside of the box, and then they get a big horse and they just immediately ship it to somebody that has 200 and everybody uses. And I'm like, where's the individuality? Where's it? I mean, why did you just fall in line and just give them to the same people? Whenever there's proven that if you give it to the, op- you know, the opportunity some of these other horsemen, you a do one you do good for the for the horse. B you do good for the industry. But it seems like that I guess it's kind of like driving a, a Rolls Royce or or wearing wearing a Versace suit. It's kind of like they want to be in the name name brand club instead of doing their own thing when it comes to choosing who trains these horses. No, I I, I agree with a lot of what you said there, and and I think the point that that I, I try to make all the time is that it's not a personal thing. It's that these guys are playing by the rules that are out there. They're not doing anything, you know, illegal or wrong. Um, so the fact that they have so many horses isn't, isn't their, uh, isn't quote unquote, their doing, you know, and, and I, I've talked to, to Todd Pletcher, especially Todd, Todd's, you know, been a friend of mine for a long, for further than, for longer than we'd like to admit. Um, but, um, you know, he's like, you know, it's hard to turn down a guy with good horses comes to you and, and he, he wants to, he, he's a, you know, good owner. He pays well. He, he, maybe he's got a big breeding operation or maybe he's, he's, you know, a guy buying money, you know, spending money at sales. How do you tell him no? And, uh, it, it's, it's, I, I get that because you don't have to tell them no. And there's no, there's no, uh, rule saying, okay, after this amount of horses, you know, you you're, you can't have this many more on the grounds, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. And and I'm not gonna get into like, um, you know, trying to come up with solutions or that. That's not that's not you know that, that's a whole. We could do ten shows on that, but the impact that the super trainer has on the game is has been decidedly negative, and um. That's something that really needs to be discussed. It needs to be talked about. It, I mean, hell, only recently people within this business, uh, you know, in the, the leadership side have, have even admitted that, you know, uh, may, maybe it's an issue with, you know, if one guy has uh, you know, 14 of the 22 horses nominated to a stake, you know, they come from one barn. You know, hey, well, maybe we have a little yeah. issue here. Well, yeah, of course. And I was, uh, we were talking about, um, uh, a, a guy, uh, Jonathan Stetton, had put a, a, a podcast out yesterday. Him and Jeff Metz did a, one on, on the condition book. And the condition book, in my opinion, has been greatly affected by those trainers because uh, those guys have most of the horses. And, and, and what I was trying to you know point out was that Todd Pletcher doesn't have a lot of 62-5 claimers or 10 claimers. So his effect on the condition book is only in certain areas. He has maidens, he has allowance horses, he has stake horses. Yes, he has maiden claimers and horses that they're literally looking to get rid of. You know, they're they're wanting those horses to go to to, to win and and you know get claimed or, or moved along because they always have 
uh, new horses coming in and they need space. And the ones that have shown that they're not going to be stakes quality, they don't want them anymore, and, and that, which is understandable. But the problem being that you don't have a, a diverse and let's get let's get this straight. Woody Stevens didn't have a lot of bottom claimers. Woody Stevens wouldn't even if a horse needed to run in a claiming race, he wouldn't even keep the horse. He get rid of the horse. But there was a lot of Woody Stevens type size operations. There was a lot of guys with 30, 40 horses. And now instead of having, you know, ten guys with forty, we have three guys with hundred and forty or hundred and fifty, and it makes filling races more difficult. Um it, it's affected the condition book. And I was talking, uh, you know, briefly at the beginning of the show about Gulfstream considering maybe putting a Tapita track in uh, as a third surface, not not at, not to replace the main track, but as a third surface. And you know, one of my thoughts about that is, well, you're already having trouble filling races, and when you add this third surface, you're going to create more races. So now you're going to have a horse that's waiting for the perfect race on a tapita surface, you know, because he's better. Yeah. Uh, maybe a horse comes from Woodbine or, or, or you know, or Presque Isle or somewhere where he's, he's shown he's a little bit better on a synthetic. So he's going to pass on the dirt and the turf races because he wants the tapita race. So now we're not, you, you know what I mean? You're, you're getting where, yeah. uh, when you have so many condition claimers, which is a problem, um, in that you have guys that are now campaigning, uh, claiming horses, cheaper claiming horses like you would campaign an allowance horse just at a lower level. You're going to, you know, break your maiden in a maiden claiming race, and you're going to go in a, a, a claiming never win two, then a claiming never win three, then a claiming never win four. So you're not going to run your horse in an open race until you've cleared the condition. Um, so we have mostly horses that uh, haven't cleared their condition. I mean, there's not that many horses that have got through their never win twos and never win threes and, and, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, there's, there's so many races offered and, and nobody wants to be 10 to one, 20 to one in races. They just don't. So you can't because we're scared to death of a win percentage. I mean, that's the thing is like, they're looking to put, they're looking to put the little guy out of, out of business quickly because the big guy can keep this, this number that is an indication to people that's never step foot on the backside, this number bigger than this number, this must be better. You know, they don't realize that the the stuff is, is a little different in these barns to where you can be a little more selective if you control a huge population. Uh, and that's a that's a huge thing that people people don't talk about was with this win percentage also at the same time come a fall in the amount of trainers that carry license and they don't realize that they're putting too much emphasis. They're putting a gambling emphasis on a, on a decision-making process that is a, that has very little to do with gambling. Uh, getting the most out of a horse doesn't necessarily mean that you win the most races. You know, for instance, you know, a horse that we sold after his first out named war story, Nice horse. Y'all saw him run forever. He's seven year old. He's a he's a badass. So I looked up one day and I I was like, I saw him win this little graded stake up at uh, not a little graded stake. There was a route race up in New York, and I was like, that's awesome. They said he's coming off of a eighteen month win or uh, like a long time drought of winning. 
And I looked and I noticed he made a million eight in that meantime. If that horse had been in certain people's barns, he'd have never run when he was 16 to one. He would have never run whenever he was, you know, but he was, he made a million eight without affecting positively the win percentage. So would you rather have one do the old drop shuffle where you just make sure you're eight to five every time you go over there? Or would you rather develop a horse and let him put some money in the bank to pay training bills? You know, so a lot of that is a little misconstrued sometimes and, and it's sold as something that it's not. Um, I think at the end of the day, your job as a trainer is to groom the horse, not the win percentage, and to to try to build, you know, keep your relationship with your owner by being honest and doing right by the horses and trying to put as much money into their account as you can while keeping your horse sound and ready to perform. And a lot of times it seems like all of that is secondary to this number where a great amount of importance is kept or his place now to determine what kind of trainer you are. I think it has very little to do with horsemanship and more, more to do with aggressive placement. But if you say anything, and I've never been a high win percentage guy because of that, my ideology doesn't match up with it. I can do it. I mean, if I wanted to go out there, I own enough horses. I can go out there and make myself a, you know, 27, 30% trainer. But at the same time, it's going against what I, what I believe in just to develop a horse and get the most out of it instead of just, well, you got to be six to five every time you run or don't lead it over. It's got to be the perfect situation. Well, I mean, sometimes you need to give a horse a race. You try to win, but you'd rather him, you'd rather him do that than work six, six more breezes or four more breezes in the morning. Get some money in the account. And that, that's not even counting the guys, um, you know, some of the big outfits at, at the, that are that are still dealing with a lot of claiming horses are willing to claim one for twenty five and run it back for ten. Um, oh yeah, you know and that's it creates uh, it creates bad races because it creates favorites. And as a better, you don't know if he's dropping the horse because he just wants to lose him. You don't know if he's just trying to win the race. Maybe he's got three other for the condition. Maybe um, you know the racing office is pressing him for for you know, they need a he needs him to do a favor somewhere else. So he has to do him a favor here. And the poor guys that actually have horses that are solid tens are are stuck running up against the horse that, that that's you know two levels above him. And sometimes them owners, I, I've had it happen to me. Owners would call me up and say, "Just scratch. I don't I don't want to run. We can't win. And and I don't want to. Yeah. You know, I'm not I don't I'm not in here to run for third. And with with these type of horses, we're aggressively pacing our horse. And this guy just has so many more horses, and they're just burying us. And um, you can't that blame happened them. to us at. Uh... Especially on the East Coast, and then we had this deal, a little phenomenon called Midwest Midwest uh, owners. What are they? What are they called? Midwest thoroughbreds. Yes. Sir. And the only thing that is is I can say for sure is no one that ever did that as their sole sole uh, pattern has ever stayed in the game very long. They get some owners' titles and whatever, and then they end up that they realize they're losing a lot of money for for their there to win a bunch of races that don't really matter. I'm not saying now he did win some good races or whatever, but we were sitting at Delaware park. It was a six horse field. They just claimed this horse in a, like a five way shake, which was huge for there for 40,000. Now the first time they run back is a non winners of, of two for 20. 
he was in there. Our horse had just got to breaking its maiden for 30. We look in there and we're like, well, we got to run. We're second choice. You know, who knows? That horse may not break. He may break out of the gates and take a left. We got to go, right? That horse beats us by about six lengths. I look up, Midwest claimed our horse. Then I, I was like, my owner, who that's the only horse they had with me, was disgusted because we got beat by many links and they claimed our horse. I was like, if you just leave your money in the account, this guy is going to drop this horse again. You're going to get it back. And it was right. His next out, non-winners of two for 7,500. <laughs> you know, hmm. I go in there, I get out shook in a four-way shake. You know, I get out shook, I don't get the horse. But still, that's what they did. They claimed it for 20, they run it for 7,500. And in the meantime, you know, the attaboys and the win percentages was just flying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, to me, it was, I was kind of brought up to where it was a pride deal. If you took a horse off somebody for 5000 and and you want to race for ten, then you kind of like, you know, you shoved it in that guy's face. Look, I did better with your horse than you did. Now we're basically applauding people for taking one for 30 and running it back for 75, and they go, well, the purse structure justifies us doing it this way anyway, so let's go ahead. You know, and they basically, another win, you know, the, the racetrack media plays up to it, and, you know, he's great first off the, off the claim. Well, yeah, when you're dropping 50%, you better be. <laughs> I could take a, a, a group of high school kids and beat most elementary kids. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm a good coach. Right. It just means I'm pretty good at placing them. I've said this a long time ago when, when um, Michael Gill and, and uh, Richard Englander and Midwest, they were trying to be the Eclipse Award winning owners. And I said, I do not agree with giving these guys the Eclipse Award because the Eclipse Award is supposed to be the best of the best. It's not that hard to win races. It's really hard to win races, but it's not that hard to win races if you're willing to lose a lot of money. Like an example, exactly. the example you gave. If you take twenty five thousand dollars horses and running them in seventy five hundred dollars horses, you're going to win a lot. You're just running. It's it's like the Yankees playing a double A team. Yeah, they're not going to win every game. They're going to win most of the games because they're they're better players, and and that's it's that simple. So the bulk winning to me, like you said, you're right. The guys get bored with it, and it's great when they're doing and winning two, three, four, five races a day. But after a while. It's the same old, same old, and people stop patting them on the back, and they're not the new guy anymore. And a couple of those guys have tried to win bigger races and better races. And Midwest did win a couple, but they found yeah, they, they, they found that it, it was really, really hard to win at that high, high level. It's like trying to win, uh, like like quarterbacks in the NFL, right? You, you go through year after year, eight or nine teams have have good quarterbacks. Uh, two or three teams have great quarterbacks, and everybody else is trying to find that guy that's at that level, and and it's so hard to do. It's just like a grade one type of horse, and that uh, from an ownership point, uh, not, I'm not going to say trainers because if you're a trainer and you have 250 horses and you're training for all the best people in the country, well, shit, you're going to find you're going to have a lot of good horses. But from an ownership point of view, it, it's really difficult to get those ultimate. You know the top of the top, the the classic type grade ones too. Um, it's it's hard, and those are the people that should be rewarded 
for winning those races because that is not something there's no higher level to drop down from and you know that that's the a guy that, told me one time that made a lot of sense to me he said son you can be the leading trainer anywhere in the world if you got somebody that's willing to let their ego outride their common sense yeah. but if you want to do something in the sport that means something win the feature win races that have a name on them that's beside the purse if you win those, then you're truly doing something that will be rememberable. It'll be something that people... So I I never wrote down on my list of things I want to accomplish. I never wrote down be a leading trainer. It doesn't move me one bit. But I wrote down a lot of names of races I want to win. Whenever they're not going to... They're not going to write a, any, any, you know, anything on on anybody's epitaph about winning a, a $30,000 climbing race anywhere. But if you win the Derby or you win, you know, the Fountain of Youth or you win the Vanderbilt or, or the Phoenix or the King Cotton, any of those races that have a name beside them, that means something. And that's the, the races that I've chose to, to try to go after. And it's hard to do. I mean, those races are hard to win because you think you've got your best horse you know, ready to perform his or her very best. And there could be somebody else out there that has one just a little bit better. You can't control the narrative on those, those races as much as you can by just willing to, you know, claim one, claim one for 62,500 at Saratoga. And then you, your first out is for 25,000 at Oakland. You know, I don't care what the, what the social media posts, says bragging or whatever about how good your team is you didn't do anything that that couldn't have been done by a lot of people where you win those races with the names on them that means something well speaking of which you won a race with a name on it last fall with uh with a a horse who who could be considered uh a throwback uh, and that that would be uh the breeders cup sprint in whitmore uh, how's mr whitmore doing He's taking in all this cold pretty good. He does love cold weather, so uh, I, I notice he's happy. We've got, you know, we've got uh, some timing deals to deal with about whether or not we're going to make the, the hot spring stake. I want to run in that again because we've, we've been lucky enough to win it four times in a row. And I want to run in that because that'll be, that'll be the, you know, we call it the run for the thumb because that'll be the, the fifth ring for that race. But... It's, this weather is going to make us to where we miss two crucial works. Right. So I don't know if we're going to be able to make it. Uh, but he's doing wonderful, and uh, he's very happy. And, uh, you know, I'm just ready for this, uh, this northern weather to go back up there for a while. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got to be tough, especially for the guys with, um, you know, not just uh, you know, horses like Whitmore and, and you're trying to, you know, accomplish something. I'm sure it's probably never been done. A horse win five consecutive stakes at Oakland Park. I mean, I mean, the horses win five consecutive stakes anywhere is like a rarity. Maybe Kelso or uh, Forgo yeah. or one of those horses. Uh, you know, back in the day, did something like that. But uh, you know, these guys with the three year olds and the three year old fillies trying. Um, you know, they've got a the the Derby is seventy four days away. The Oaks is seventy three days away, and to have their training interrupted 
uh, in this fashion, this this at this point, especially now, you know, you have the Southwest uh, is pushed off. It's it's two weeks before the Rebel, so the timing has has, has been all screwed up. And uh, you know, with the Derby point system, and and, and I don't want to get rolling about the the ridiculousness of the Southwest only being worth ten points because that is just idiotic. I don't know who makes these decisions at Churchill, but change that quickly because it's stupid and it makes no sense. And what you should do this year, because of the weather delay and because of the inconvenience and the thing, the fact that it's impossible for the trainers to have seen this, that race should be doubled at least in points. They they can do it. It's their race. They make up. They make it up as they go along. So you know what? Double that race in points so that the winner doesn't get ten lousy points. Um, when everyone else well, and all they, the other they created a unique deal by that, and I'll tell you what's going to happen. The only people that's going to run in that race now are going to be the people that have already guaranteed themselves a slot or the desperate. You're going to still have probably a sense of quality, I'm going to guess, and I'm thinking you're still going to have keeping in mind uh, the horse of Diodoros, mm-hmm. but I believe those two, where the rest of them that are really searching for points when they see that those guys are pointed to this race who are already pretty much guaranteed a spot in the starting gates and will run just because the purse is good, you know, they're going to try to probably go, go other places to avoid, you know, either that or now the timing wise is going to make the rebel, which is like a million dollar purse, make the rebel, uh, a little bit easier because of the fact that, uh, two of your main competitors, are going to run in the southwest yeah. cuz they don't care about the points. No doubt. I, I was uh I was talking to a, a racing official last night and I said if I was a guy with a second tier type of 3-year-old, uh, I'd be point, I'd be running to Oaklawn to run in the southwest and or the Rebel because um like you said the the fields are definitely be thinned out both ways and the fact that it matters a bunch of these horses haven't had training uh, or ha- or have their training schedules interrupted, or they're shipped somewhere else, and you might be at a disadvantage, especially coming from a warm weather spot where you haven't missed a single day, and maybe you can you know upset the apple cart and, and hell if you're third in a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar race, that's still seventy five grand, which is more than winning a lot oh, yeah. of the second tier races. So, Future. but you know what, it remains to be seen what uh, what's going to happen. But I'm happy to hear that Whitmore is doing good. I'm happy that you haven't uh, gone stir crazy and uh, you know. Like like going out to the track and, and tried to ice skate or something on it, and um, <laughs> just no. uh, just just. No, I'm, just, I'm glad I'm glad to get to talk to you guys. You know, I I think that uh, that you deserve a lot of credit for keeping it real. There's a lot of people, you know, uh, may not understand, but it, to be to be as honest and real doesn't mean you don't truly love the sport it means you love it enough to say what needs to be said and not just stand in line to say yes and i think you deserve a lot of credit for that you and i aren't going to agree with with everything all the time but at the same time i promise you your passion matches my passion and no matter what we're brothers like that so i really appreciate the job you do well i appreciate that and i appreciate you giving us some time and and coming on here and, and uh Likewise, you know, being real and, and saying what's on your mind, and uh, you know, this is not a, a this is not a politically correct show, and <laughs> that's not our mission here. So uh, there's lots of politically yeah, correct shows, but uh, we don't we don't really have to answer to to people that want to be politically correct. So we're, we're given that ability, and uh, I, I hope that the listeners and people 
um, do appreciate that, uh, that I might not be right about everything for certain. I'm not right about everything, but, uh, I'm going to give you my view and it's going to be come from a view mostly, uh, that's been well thought out and as, as I've taken from other people and, and, and got their views and kind of formulated an opinion. And it's also from experience, from having dealt with a lot of the issues that, that, others have to deal with that might not be able to be as frank as, as I'm able to be. And, you know, I mean, we piss people off, but if you're not pissing people off, then you know, it's kind of a, yeah, you're, you're, not, not, you're really not doing your yeah, job. You're not getting anywhere. Right. So Ronnie, I, I, I do appreciate of pissing it. people off. Uh, one thing I want to say before I get off, can you dunk a basketball? Could you ever dunk a basketball or are you just a waste of height? Yes, sir. No, I, I could, I could certainly dunk a basketball, but those days I, I think, now, going up might not be the problem. It would be coming down. <laughs> and the earth, the earth right. might, we, you know, we don't have many earthquakes here. We usually have tornado, uh, tornadoes and we have uh, hurricanes down in Florida. But the earth may quake enough where, where the, the, the tremors would be, you know, would, would get yeah. a lot of people nervous. All right. Well, good. stay safe if you need me holler. You got it. Thank you, Ron. Uh, that's Ron Moquette reporting from the... The Arctic tundra of Oaklawn Park, the not-so-hot springs, Arkansas. Uh, we're going to go to a, a break, and when we come back, we're going to have Racing Twitter's uh, Howard Stern, Mr. Swift Hitter, is going to be here, and we're going to be talking about a serious topic. How do we get young, engaged betters engaged in racing? Be back in a second. Why, in the past decade, has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA-supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bread racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman. Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, BRL Equine has a new product out. It's called Flexify. And I've done my own independent research into this because, you know, I want to I want to promote products I think work and I've gotten nothing but positive positive uh returns on, on Flexify it it's a joint supplement it's totally legal it's uh, priced properly and it, it seems like it, it's really working I know some people who uh have have older horses that that have some issues um that require anti-inflammatories and and they've they've stopped using the anti-inflammatories on the horses um, Butte and, and Banamine and such, uh, and they're going just using Fortif- Fortiflex. So um, this, this is, it, it's a good product, and uh, if you're an owner, ask your trainer to try it. Call Joseph Villante at the number given, 
he he will certainly talk to you and uh you know you could probably shake him down for a, a free sample maybe and uh if you're in town you can definitely get him to buy you lunch speaking of lunch with us now is a guy who doesn't miss a whole lot of lunches like yours truly <laughs> mr swift how are you What's up? That that was a funny comment. That was a good one. Well, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't that many weeks ago that someone was was accusing you of being a jockey. So, <laughs> yeah, about two hundred pounds overweight. But I, <laughs> I need to get my ass back in the gym. <laughs> it just it just goes to show you that that on the internet anything can happen. In the uh, an actual jockey taking a picture with a guy who's probably about the size of two actual jockeys <laughs> and another guy who looks like he's a a, a stretch four for uh uh you know michigan state all get accused <laughs> of being jockeys <laughs> we, we don't know if that guy was just trolling us or he was legit serious but uh, it was honestly, just the comment was like funny and then like he actually went on with it too so i was like I, you know what just play with it <laughs> Yeah, you know, you guys and your masks or lack thereof, and you yeah. know, it's just. Uh... But the crazy thing about that was like Tyler had, I think, his. We just we had drinks in our hands, and like I had some drinks on my shirt too. <laughs> I was drinking, and then like we just put it down. And he goes, uh, "Let's take a picture." And the funny thing is, Tyler was a good dude. He, Tyler tells me, tells me, he's like, "We had, you, I had you blocked because like." I don't know. I must have called them like a pipsqueak or something <laughs> like on a ride he gave me, and it cost me big. But I, I even told them, I said, "Listen, you're going to have a big Pegasus day," and he really did, man. He yeah. had a great Pegasus day, and he said, "Listen, he goes that persona you put on the online is not really you. I mean, you're down to earth and cool." I was like, "Yeah, you see one comment, but if you get to know me, I'm pretty down to earth, and we could have fun." So he unblocked me, and it was funny. You know. The truth of the matter is that I am not one of these people who are like, well, if you've never ridden a horse, you shouldn't criticize a jockey because that's ridiculous. And, yeah. and yes, a lot of times jockeys get criticized when, when the only thing that should be criticized is their agent for taking the call. They're just riding a slow horse and they're like, well, why couldn't he keep him up there? Well, he was trying to keep the horse up there. The horse just isn't very fast. Uh, you know, uh, I, I was always appreciative because I trained a lot of good horses, but I trained more bad horses. And yeah. I would tell my jockeys, I don't want you to bullshit me. Tell me the truth so that we can figure it out. If you really think that maybe the horse is better than he looked or, um, you know, maybe we could do something or change equipment, don't don't just throw something at me because you think I'm going to be mad at you. I'm not going to get mad at you for, for, for a ride unless you do something stupid. If you get stuck, I, I told, um, I, I was riding uh, Matthew Rispoli and... In the summertime a couple years ago. And Matthew was a good rider. His problem was, uh, like your problem is being a jockey, he was just a little too heavy. You know, he had to reduce a lot. And and it was tough on him to, even in the the heat in the summertime down here, for him to stay at 118, 119, it it was really hard for him. Um, But the first horse he rode for me, he went like six wide on the turn, on a turf race. And and after the race, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you want to ride another horse for me, you got to never, ever, ever go six wide because I don't have any horses good enough to go six wide and win. I go uh, on the turf, especially in the wintertime at Gulfstream. I said, I, we've got to stay on the inside, save every inch of ground. If it doesn't open up, it doesn't open up. And you know what? We'll live to fight again. But when you go five or six wide, 
We have no chance. It doesn't matter what happens. We will lose. We cannot lose four or five lengths on the turn. I don't have any horses that are four or five lengths the best. So he he actually got to where he, he never really, you know, he, he understood that. And I said to him, I'm not going to get mad if you get blocked. If you get stuck on the inside, I'm not going to be mad because that's what I'm telling you to do. If you do that every time, yeah, there's going to be occasions where we get traffic and it doesn't work out. But there's also going to be occasions where it does work out, where everybody else swings wide and, and the inside opens right up. Like like Corey Lannery on Saturday at Gulfstream. Yeah. I think he won, what, the two? Three, up the rail? three races, I think he won up yeah, the rail. He, he, I thought he had that pledge. I needed that pledge for <sighs> two grand, man. I mean, up the rail, and I thought he had him. You know what? The Bob of all Bob. When you watch that head-on, Tyler yeah. did an amazing job of doing just enough to make the two hesitate just a little bit. I saw bit. that. I saw, that. I saw but exactly what he, you're talking about. Yeah. It was like a split hesitation. He wasn't sure if he was going to get through. And that, that that was it, man. That's all it took. And, and he, he, I mean, it was, it was almost perfect. And he just didn't come over too much, but he made it tight enough where the two kind of was like, yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get through there, and and that was the difference in, in in you know winning and losing that race. Of course, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't have either of those horses alive, so I was watching for for uh, you know shits and giggles at yeah. that point. But um, yeah, I had a dollar pick four in that race. That was the race before where I made a stupid bet. Like I bet uh, try. I had the five. I should have just bet across the board on the five, and the five wins. The try and he pays five hundred dollars, whatever. But I liked the five, and I had a dollar pick for some. But I wanted that two up because Black Magic Woman was the chalk, and uh, so what are you going to do? That's, that's yeah. the game. Like you know, jockeys, listen, I understand this. There's crazy people in this world. I'm, I, I'm dealing with that too. Like just you get some PMs like saying your mother's a this and yeah. that. You know, all these type of people are being. Listen, I, I, whenever I like say something or criticize someone, I really don't even act. I'm outside Matt Ryan. Maybe Matt Ryan's blocked me. Like, just, <laughs> I hate Matt Ryan. <laughs> I mean, like that's Matt Ryan. I the, want him the quarterback of the, the Falcons. Falcons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want him off the Falcons. But like, if I criticize the jockey, I'm not adding them. I'm not like Jose Ortiz. Dollar they cost me thousands of dollars on the six on the ride on. Uh, Mark Cassie's horse, and it was such a horrible ride. And like, I don't add him. Like, I don't, you know, like he, he, that's what. Like, I could just criticize you without, like, you know, going attacking you. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's this difference, I guess, because when there's some heavy money at stake, people don't realize. Like, you know, like people get aggravated, people get upset. You know, this is major money. Some, you know, some of these rides, like the other day, Jose Ortiz's ride on that horse was just. Some of the most mind-boggling ride I ever seen in my life, and he had a ton of horse. And then he let his brother pass him in the final. Like it was just a horrible ride. And people don't realize you you, you might only have one shot to get a real big score for a day, and that was it. You know. You know it's it's so funny because there's so many variables. Like sometimes a guy, you know, you'll be like, "What was this guy doing? Why did he take the source off the pace?" And you know. It's not that like the, the jocks are always going to throw the trainers under the bus, but a lot of times it's because the trainer told them to. Uh, yeah, I I, yeah, right. I was talking uh, uh, I was talking with Barry last night about um, one of the things that that one of the things I hate about the business now in the game is that we have so few two turn dirt races um, because to me they, they were number one they were they were races that you could handicap and you could find horses because you you'd be look I always look for sprinters stretching out. The horses that, that, that would would stop going six furlongs, and you'd run them in a two turn race, 
and they wouldn't have to go 22, 44, 45, 46, you know? They go 24, 48, 49. And I had so many horses. We used to look to claim them. Horse with a little bit of distance pedigree and, and um, you know, stretch them out. Put them in a race where they got a two, three-length lead and they just, the jock could sit on them and they just relax on the lead. And, and the turn for home, they'd still have something left because they hadn't used it all up chasing the pace or running away from other horses. Um, and, and it just, it sucks now because there's just not that many two-turn races and there's a whole lot of reasons that, that are, you know, not all that interesting to talk about. So we won't talk about them, but... W- but the fact of the matter is that that they we don't have them, and so many times you'll see a, a horse that's stretching out in distance. Especially you'll see it now at, at Goldstream, especially with the five furlong horses to the mile race. And yeah, on, on the turf, right? Too, the, or the, the trainers, right? The trainers are so worried that the horse won't quote unquote get the distance that yeah. we'll see horses that that are that are you know, going twenty one and change, forty four and change, going five ace. Yeah, you, you you get in a, a two turn race and they go twenty three forty six and he's three lengths off the pace and you're like what yeah, is he so doing? There was one, I think there was one two weeks ago on on Saturday that I was having an argument with uh, like another couple of friends of mine that they they thought the turf sprinter was going to go to the lead. I said there's no chance that uh, Paco was on the other speed horse that Paco was going to allow. Uh, I think Paco was on a pledge of us. He wasn't going to allow. The speed turf horse who should have been in the lead get the front, and guess what Paco does? He controls the race, and when, you know he controls the race. I think that was the race with uh, Junior Junior Matos that won that caught Fletcher and Paco late. Was that stakes race? I forget the name, but that was the yeah. It's just some of the rides, man. Other than I, I would never want to do that job. I mean, I just the, being a jockey or something that's tough business. And you know what? I give credit to Tyler, man. Tyler was straight up. He was like, listen. I put my life into this. Like I, I, I eat, breathe, sleep, bad rides. You know, he's he was as cool as a jockey as I, I ever met, and I met a couple. You know, and he he was straight up forward. He was like, "Listen, I give you know, I congratulated him on his possible Derby horse or something." You know, but I looked at him. I'm like, he, "That's a guy that gets it because he knows there's gambling aspect. He, he knows that that people are going to criticize that, and sometimes you just can't take it to heart." You know. If I say if I give a horrible pick, I say oh, that was a horrible pick by me. Sometimes some of the some of the jockeys are really understanding. You know, they're really going on Twitter, they're going on social media, and saying, "Listen, that was a shitty ride. There's nothing I could do. I'll clean it up next time." You know, that's it. That's what, that's what betters want. Yeah, it's it's tough, and and you know, like from a jockey's point of view too, it's not easy for him especially to come on social media and, and say, hey, listen, you know, you're pissed at me about that ride. The horse is freaking half lame. You know, you know, you can't come out and say that, or you can't yeah, say, you know, true. the horse is, the, the, the horse sounded like he was going to fall down. His breathing was so bad. I mean, there, there, there's things that like, you know, it's just kind yeah, of not, story. You, exactly. right. And, and it's, 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 uh, uh, you know, a lot of times I think, and this is, this is probably me as well as anybody else. You bet on a horse and you're expecting them to do something and they don't do what you expected them to do and they lose, then you get pissed off. But if, if like you didn't expect the horse to go to the lead and he goes to the lead and he wins, well, you're still happy, right? You still can pat yourself on the back and say, well, that wasn't exactly how we, the race was supposed to set up, but I won, so I'm going to still take credit. <laughs> I think someone on Twitter put something the other day about if, if you're a guy that puts out picks and, 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 uh, you put a you put a pick out for the race come off the turf and the horse wins and it stays on the turf 
and you take credit for it, like you know, that's that's not really kosher. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it, yeah, it's a gambling it's, game, I mean, and it, it's an emotional yeah. game. I mean, it, it's there's no doubt about it because it's an interactive thing, and I think uh, uh, you know we have a lot more access to the people involved than you would um uh, an nba player for example if if uh you know lebron chokes on a free throw and you t- you you send a uh uh you put on on his twitter hey lebron you know you choked yeah you and and 600,000 other people <laughs> so you know it's just going to be lost in the crowd where in this business yeah, you can kind of uh, yeah. you can kind of get close to people and and, and say hey you of know of course yeah uh, what are yeah, you I doing? Mean, you could really, yeah, it's a smaller community, so they're not going to hear it out, but I'm sure, I'm sure they, they hear enough. So I, I, I try not to criticize Jackie's. I mean, I do criticize him because I guess that's in the it's nat- it's nature, nature of the beast. I mean, they're, they're, but it, it's like you said, there could be tons of things going on. The horse could be the trainer. Who knows? The different directions, different instructions. You know, we, we've seen that with some of the best horses, too, at some weird, weirder spots, man. So you, you can't, you got to let the chips fall where they be. So no, no, I mean, it's, no doubt. it's a tough game. One of the things that, that, uh, that I think that racing as a whole should do a much better job with, and other jurisdictions ha- have done this, is explanations post-race where yep, agree, we yeah. don't hear anything virtually. Maybe in a big yeah. race we might hear something, especially if a horse doesn't perform. The trainer will come out and say, well, the horse you know came out of the race with a missing a shoe or he you know, has a issue or he came out lame or he hurt his foot or something. But every, the day-to-day races, sometimes unfathomable things happen. And then we don't know what what happened because there's no one there reporting it. And I I think as opposed to racing, uh, to tracks using their, their on-air talent to just talk about pre-race, I think post-race would be a better opportunity to really gain information in that as the jocks came by uh, or the and or the trainers came by um interview them and say hey what what happened out there and, and uh you know maybe the uh the jock can you know can give you a little insight or the trainer can can you know relay what what he was told and and give us some information post race so that we can use that moving forward uh, Agree. I, I think it, it it wouldn't be that difficult. To, you know, having three guys making picks before the race, I don't care about their picks. As a matter of fact, a lot I of agree. times I do the Richard, uh, you know, the the Let It Ride thing, where whoever they pick, I I, I cross out. I, I I made Ron Nicoletti have a pact with me that he would not select any of my horses on 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 top. And, and, and you know, I said, I, it, I, listen, I said I we, we that, just Hong Kong uh, does that too, like Happy Valley, and they put in like the jockey gave like. An unsatisfactory guy or something. You well, know? yeah, they have I a they have a form steward. They have a guy. That all he does, he's a steward. All he does is is watch the races and try to to come up. Um, like in Hong Kong, if you decide that you want to change a horse's tactics, okay, you had a front yeah. runner, and maybe you're going into a race, and there's like three other speed horses, and you yeah. think your horse can rate a little bit. If you tell the jockey to rate the horse, you've got to tell the form steward prior to the race. You that, can't yes, just you can't just be, take the horse back, um, because if you do that, and the jockey says, "Well, he told me to take the horse back," well, there's going to be uh, hell to pay. It's going to be a big, big problem. Uh, and certainly, the the stewards in Hong Kong have a lot more uh, power than the stewards here do. 
um, of course. you know, Chinese laws a little bit, uh, you know, the human <laughs> yeah. rights, the, the human rights and, uh, thing is yeah. kind of a little bit fuzzy there. But that being said, uh, you know, like they you said, they, the they do reports. Yes. And, and, and they're handling ungodly amounts of money. They do more yeah, on, on a crazy. typical, uh, um, you know, Saturday at uh, Tin than, than we do on Breeders' Cup Day. So I know it's just crazy. Yeah. It, it's a huge thing, and and because of yeah. that, it's 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 supposed to be, um, you know, it, it, it's they're they're certainly more um, uh, transparent. And I yeah, get but- like, you know, if you're a small track and and you're not, you know, Mahoning Valley or something, you're probably not going to be able to do this like you can at Gulfstream or Belmont or Keeneland or wherever. But to me, the fact that we get nothing post-race, sometimes after a stake we'll get, uh, or even at TVG when, when they're doing California or doing Keeneland, we might get the winning trainer. But the winning trainer yeah. won. That's yeah. not the important, that's not the important um, the information. The, the important information is, is the other horses. And, and that's, uh, I think that's something that, that, wouldn't cost a whole lot of money. All you want to do is is kind of you know tweak your your personnel and and have some post race commentary because you know who needs to, to hear about the next race twenty five minutes before the next race? Nobody. I agree with. You. So that might be a good job. For you me. want to see? You, you might be what, really good at that. We could, total, we could. You want to? We could give you yeah. a microphone and put you out there with a with a cameraman and and, and you know say you know hey. Uh, Jose, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to, you know who's doing, like, there's people online now are doing, like, trips and notes and stuff. And yes. They're doing, like, three-page paragraphs on some of these horses on these rides and stuff. And, you know what, I, I'm in total agreement with you. We don't need to hear the winning trainer. Oh, the winning trainer probably got a dream trip or something, and he won the race. Let's hear about the guy who finished a rough second like that Cassie horse. And see how he really feels about what happened and how that played out, and then see what what happened with Jose Ortiz as well, man. There, there comes like I think when in horse racing we do some shit ass backwards, like where like we like you said interviewing winning trainers, winning owners, winning you know like sometimes there's an other side. There's people who've lost money, lost horses, uh, they've lost you know anything in any aspect. That's the real emotion. The real, you know, people are politically correct when they win and they're happy. When you're upset and mean, you get those moments like what happened with the guy, uh, California Chrome's host. You know, I mean, <laughs> stuff like that is comical. But, like, you get the true emotion, and sometimes the true emotion is really where it's at because some of these rides and some of these training jobs, like, you, you just have to wonder, like, man. And there's other aspects of the game, too, like where people really don't comment on. Like, you, you get a claiming horse that, that, like, shouldn't be in the claiming ranks, like, and it gets lost or something, and it gets moved up. You should ask your trainer, why did you drop this horse at $20,000? You know, like, no one even asked service, like, when he was going through that, like, how good of a horseman he was, and people who said he was, and all the people on Naira who, before the service, he dropped maximum security in a, in a maiden claiming race, and... I mean, any horseman, like, I, I could watch horses on TV and XBTV and see this horse was good. I had a buddy, Josh, reach out to me and said that he's going to put a derby future on maximum security the day of the race. Like, because he saw him, like, warming up and stuff. And he, he was before before this even happened. Like, how is it that people around the game can't see a horse that 
you know what, this horse actually has some talent that he shouldn't be in the claiming race. Like, we could lose him, you know, stuff like that. But the trainers don't care. They, they just write it off to a new owner, especially the big ones. Some of the big ones just go through horses like it's Tic Tacs. Well, I think part of the problem is that if you if you do a lot of claiming off of guys who win uh, upwards of 30%, yeah. you're probably going to do a lot of claiming of horses that you're not going to do very well with. Yeah, and that, that is an, it's yeah. another issue with yeah. uh, no one it, wants to claim all certain trainers. And I, I mean, when Moquette I and I talked about it a little bit today, and, and we've talked about it before about super trainers, and, and there's I said it's not personal, it's not that they're bad guys, they're playing by the rules that exist, yeah, yeah. they're not breaking the rules, at least in that, in that fashion, having a lot of horses or that. But it, it's the fact that the advantages that they gain that they're able to take $20,000 horses and run them for 10. And you don't know if it's because he wants to lose the horse, if he's got three other horses for the same class, if the owner is breaking his chops, he, he can just run them cheap, get him claim, win the race, and, and everyone on TVG calls him a hero. Oh, this guy's you know this guy he's sharp, he knows how to he, he knows how to put his horses in. Well, yeah. It, how it, would you fix super trainers? Like, how would you approach that? Like, I mean, like honestly, how would our owners? Uh, owners, I guess. Like, I was having this argument went on Twitter before that. People saying owners are the most important thing. Listen, I'm a gambler. I could go to a casino tomorrow. If there was no horse racing tomorrow, I could say, you know what? Okay, I'll go into sports or uh, casino. I'll play poker or something like that. I, I could adapt. Can a horse race owner who owns uh, million dollar horses adapt? I mean, can they? I mean, sure, they have all the successful businesses to put them in that position, but can they adapt where if there is no better? If there is no horse racing better, can they say, oh, we're going to Saudi Arabia, we're going to race each other, and we'll put up the money. Well, <laughs> we it, don't have to worry about betters. When you look no, at it, you, you, got, you look at it from this standpoint, in that um, clearly the, the purse money available to be won is derived from two sources. It's derived from betting, and yeah. uh, it's derived now from alternate sources like uh, you know racinos, casino slots. Owners are spending, and this is kind of a, a this is a, a, a estimate, this isn't an exactness, but in general, owners in this country spend right around $2 billion or such to purchase, acquire, train, take care of horses to run for $1 billion worth of purses. So owners yeah. in this country are literally losing a billion dollars because that's, <laughs> that's just how much it costs, that's how much it costs to acquire them, and, you know, the thing is this, is that owning racehorses was never supposed to be a business. And the stallion business has turned it into a business where the real money isn't even winning races. Yeah, no, Saudi Arabia, you know, they got a $20 million race. That's real money. Yeah. You know, Dubai's yeah, got a $16 million race. That's real money. Even the Pegasus, it's $3 million bucks. That's real money. But yeah. the real, oh, real money, the the touchdown, the the, the lottery score yeah. is the stallion game. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and that, you, that, you know, that has basically, in a way, it has ruined the game in a way too. Because we're not as fans, we're getting taken away. I mean, we're, we're betters. I'm a better, but I like to see horses run three, four year old, five year old season. Unless you're not going to get that anymore because there's too much money in the breeding shed, and then the breeding shed is just it's just going to keep going and going and going until that bubble bursts. And think about eventually it. one day it might burst. But I think the, the I think the owners right now have perfected perfected their 
win-loss statements on their accountants have figured out a way where they could lose so much on horses and they could tax write-offs where a certain amount where well, it's the gen- okay. You the know? general rule of thumb is, is you need to show profits two out of seven years. And, of course, there's always ways to manipulate that. Yeah. Uh, two out of seven years, you sell a bunch of horses. You sell some broodmares. You sell some of your valuable horses. You, know, you, know, you cut down on your expenses, and, and you, know, you show a paper profit. Um, if you wind up with a, a stallion, well, hell, you're going to show a profit that year anyways. Um, yeah. Think about this. Monomoy Girl, right, one of the top horses in, in training. Uh, Swiss Skydiver, one of the top horses in training. If they were Colts, there was no possible chance that they would still be racing this year. They would be gone. The Swiss Skydiver would have been retired like Authentic. She was essentially a female Authentic. She would be retired. 100%. And, and the thing is, a, a, a filly can only produce one full year. And yeah, if you put Swiss Skydiver or Monomoy Girl, uh, I think Monomoy Girl was what? Bought, she was purchased uh, for like what, $6 million, yep. which is you know serious money. But the people who bought the horse, um, they're going to get one foal a year out of her if they're lucky. Yeah. If they're lucky, if if everything goes yeah. well, and then the foal comes out and the foal is, is is healthy and and correct and all that. So the odds of them actually making a big score on her are very very slim. They're going to need, um, you know, seven million dollar foals. No merit yeah. in history has ever had seven million dollar foals. But yeah, a lot of that is, is it's just the um, it's 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 ha- wanting something that other people don't have. Like you know, you look at Jerry Jones's yacht. It's two hundred twenty yeah. million dollars. He doesn't need a two hundred twenty million dollar yacht, but he has one because he can. Yeah, it's a status symbol. Yeah, right. But uh, you know, the the stallion game has has certainly it's it's weakened the the sport at the top in that no one wants to race horses anymore. They just want to build resumes and they skip yeah. they skip tough spots to to try to stay undefeated or to try to one of the things i hated about zinyada and zinyada was a really good horse she was not the top 20 horse of all time that, that's just ridiculous but um you know i mean honestly about 15 of her races she beat beyond subpar horses but that doesn't mean she wasn't a great horse the problem i had with the the the, the campaign was that they never did anything special you know, they, yes, they tried the Breeders' Cup against Colts. One year, they tried the Breeders' Cup against Colts on the poly track, which made sense. The only race where they really stretched their imagination was to run her in that Breeders' Cup at Churchill Downs on the dirt. And she got beat, uh, and she certainly could have won and blame, you know, ran a great race. And I think, to be honest, Mike Smith simply didn't warm her up enough. Uh, yeah, you know, she got a little too far behind, and and you know it was it was wicked cold that that day. By that time of the, that night, it was freezing out, and um, and this filly had come in from Southern California where the temperatures weren't that that uh, you know Mike Smith would probably want to shoot me for saying this, but I really think that that she got a little bit too far behind because she just wasn't you know she just wasn't ready to to roll when the gate opened. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that she never tried turf. She never tried. She never ran at Saratoga. She never ran at Keeneland. She never, you know, did out-of-the-box things. Uh, she, yeah. she beat the same Phillies in, like, the Santa Monica and the, the, the this, the La, you know, blah, 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 blah. And um, it just, to me, was, was kind of, um, you know, it was Cupcake City and... 
I think, I mean, wouldn't you love to have seen how that Phillies closing kick would have looked on the turf? I mean, you could you imagine in a race like the, yeah, Beverly, I agree. the Beverly uh, D the, at, uh, at Arlington or, or, or one of the turf races at Belmont with the big wide turns where she could really fly home or, or God, even, uh, I, I know they didn't have the money, you know, that was what they, they have now, but like, can you imagine her running in a place like Kentucky Downs, um, <laughs> you know, with that, with that long, long stretch and, Angle yeah, out to the middle of the track and, and and see what she could do and and I think that's one of the things that the, the old horses the, the horses of the past they they did they they they, they looked for competition um, you know they 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 went all over the place cigar great horse yeah, um, one of my favorites right, I, I know I know he's one of your horses but <laughs> like they they ran him all over the country they ran him in, yeah. in Suffolk Downs he ran at Arlington they, they they put a race there he ran at Oaklawn he ran at Gulfstream he ran at Aqueduct he ran at Belmont he ran at um, you know, everywhere. And he, he wound up getting beat because they went out to California and Mott didn't want to go. The owner wanted to go. Alan Paulson wanted to go to California. His where he's from. He wanted to race out there and, uh, and, and it got him beat because Mott didn't want to go siphon, soften him up and, and a horse named Darren go, who's a nice horse, but he really wasn't cigar type, you know, quality. He sat a perfect trip and, and tripped out and, and beat him. Um, but, these, you know, looking back, no one remembers that race. Not Everybody no remembers does. the Breeders' Cup when, when yeah, the uh, great you know, yep. when Tom Durkin, you know, had the, you know, one of the all-time great, great calls. And the fact of the yeah, matter was, was, he wasn't even the best horse on the track that day. I'll go to my 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 deathbed thinking inside information would have beat him because I don't think any horse in America, I don't think any horse anywhere would have beat inside information that day. She won the, the, this that by fifteen and like yeah, a ridiculous I remember fast that, yeah. time. A ridiculous and yeah, fast cigar time. was cigar was my favorite man. But um, like people don't remember the fat the, the the races he lost. They remember the cigar. Yeah. I remember uh, I, I was actually in the paddock. <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing, but but uh, the the first day of his winning streak at Aqueduct when they moved him to the dirt because we had a horse in against him and we we kind of liked the horse and we thought Mott's horse was just a dirt you know turf horse that. He got frustrated with. <laughs> he drilled us, <laughs> and then uh, you know Mike Smith rode him, and that day, and his very next race was the Naira Mile, which is now the Cigar Mile, and yeah. uh, Mike Smith wound up riding Devil Is Due, who at the time was far more accomplished. I mean, Cigar essentially just won that allowance race, and Jerry Bailey wound up on the horse in the Cigar yep. Mile, uh, or at the time I said the Naira Mile, and he drilled Naira everybody mile, there. Yeah. And then one of the craziest things was his next start after that was at Gulfstream in January in an allowance yeah. race, a four yeah, other that allowance race, and it had an eight-horse field, <laughs> and no one scratched. I mean, a horse just won the Naira Mile a grade one race by eight, and he's in an allowance race at Gulfstream, and, and no one said, eh, I'll, I'll pass. They all ran. <laughs> and that was the last time he ever ran in anything but a, a graded stake race. But... um. It's uh, it, it's just you know like your memory of cigar, is is those races. It's not the races he lost. And even as a uh, I think as a five year old, cigar got beat in the well. He got beat in Woodbine in, in the in the Breeders' Cup. I think it was his last race by yeah. the, by the Gray Horse. Um, you know. So, but 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 that's not the that's not your memory of him. And that's the one thing that pisses me off as a as a racing fan is not giving these horses a chance. I mean, I, wouldn't you love to see authentic versus charlatan versus uh, Nick's go? 
you know, regardless of, of course, what people, regardless of what people think about the trainers, I mean, wouldn't that be like a, a great race with three horses course, with similar like, styles? Look at, look at the look at the Saudi race right now. Right, Charlton versus uh, what's the name? Yeah, I mean, Charlton versus Nick's Go is, is a really is a really good race, and you know, is Nick's Go going to be able to to wire, you know, the field at, at uh, you know and, and withstand a horse like Charlton? I, I don't know. It's a good question because yeah, uh, it's. Cr- yeah, it's crazy how like like American fans can't. I mean, we're going to see it on TV. I'm sure we're going to watch it. But like, how how is that possible that two of the best horses in training right now are not even doing this on American soil right now? That's it's kind of upsetting when you think about it. And I understand the oil money and all that stuff. But to be honest, this it's the game shouldn't be like that. I mean, <laughs> that we got to go overseas to see these two great horses match up. And you know, I, I used to criticize Songbird like. The thing with Zenyatta, at least Zenyatta tried versus males, and she made it. She won first. She she won. She won first. Songbird never even tried, and that's why I say, listen, you got to try different aspects. Give the people what they want. Matchups, you know, this matchup. I'm going to watch this Charlton versus Nick's go. Why wouldn't you, as a horse racing fan, you want to see? I want to see Liam's map versus uh, American Pharaoh, but Pletcher and them chose the mile. I mean, Liam's met, he got that Breeders' Cup mile, and guess what? The Breeders' Cup contract, uh, the breeding contract so what, for winning that, and that's what the game is. This game is about, like, chess now. It's like, okay, who to avoid, who to avoid, and so I could make sure that I get this horse's uh, breeding rights, man. I mean, this horse is like, uh, like Vacoma. Vacoma was ultra-talented, just we never saw the best of him. He might have had some injuries and stuff, and Hopefully Mason is a breeder, you know, a solid breeder. But there's, like, we want to see, as fans, we want to see these good horses race each other. I love that Nashville, is, you know, Nashville went up to, went to San Mita and tried against Shelton. You know, stuff like that. You want to see good horses versus good horses. Without that, then what is the sport really if we're going to avoid each other? Well, in the end, the, the, that's that's how the sport started out, was my horse can beat your horse, and let's, let's yeah. race against each other and see what happens, and... Uh, you know, it wasn't. Well, I'm not going to race against your horse because, uh, you know, the 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 three farms down the street are going to breed to my horse. But if you beat me, they're not going to breed to me. <laughs> they're going to breed to the Amish guy's horse. You know, so yeah. um, no. Well, let, like let's let's change gears a little bit and talk about some of the stuff that you've been putting on Twitter lately. Talks about yeah. how to get uh, younger guys who who are actively seeking guidance in 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 racing to to try to. Um, to learn the game, to learn it from a betting standpoint, um, you know, along with the handicapping. Of course, the handicapping is the handicapping in that, you know, you have to know the basics and, and understand speed figures and pace and yeah. trips and, and all that. That That's not, you know, that, that hasn't really changed. And like you said, there's guys now that sell trip notes. There's guys that, uh, you know, have speed figures and like CJ's, uh, you know, figures, uh, Timeform USA are, are, are good. Um, you know, I know you guys use the bris. I know guys use the buyers. I know you guys use rags and thoroughgraphs. And I mean, there's a tremendous amount of information on the handicapping side, but yep. the the betting side is really where we lack. And and we have you know the, the issues we've talked about so many times with the late odds changes and the elite turf clubs banging out the uh, the jackpot bets and, and things like that. But yeah. Give us some examples of things that you think that the the racing, uh, the tracks, the game can do 
to attract those type of guys, guys who not not you know guys who have no interest in gambling because that that's you know a tough nut to hoe to to get a guy yeah, yeah. interested in gambling that's not already interested, but a guy that that's got some interest in gambling and maybe you know his friends are all betting sports, but but he wants to try racing. I honestly think where we should start is how Canada has been doing the fixed odds parlays. Like I even do it. I even I ship money up to my friends in in Canada to. Like get these fixed odds parlays. Like they, like I could bet a horse today at uh, fairgrounds, and I, I could bet a horse later today at uh, Yonkers, where I, I could parlay those two fixed horse odds, and I could get them in right now before you know the odds get manipulated, and I could be interested in two different racetracks at two different times. I also think there's got to be more incentives, like. These guys, uh, a couple guys on Twitter and a couple guys on, like, what FanDuel's doing with these same-game parlays. You're a big basketball fan, Chuck. I know you've done. These people are watching these games now with with $2 at stake, they're betting, and they're watching the whole entire game with $2, James Harden points over, James Harden rebounds over, stuff like that to get them hooked on the great game of horse race betting where if we could develop betting strategies and betting like that, we could get them hooked similar. How about a jockey who has the most wins on the card? Uh, a horse that finishes last. Uh, how about this? Or an incentive where we could have a dollar pick six, we put it all in the pool, low takeout, low takeout, and uh, low takeout, and it's a million dollar score. We, we, an ADW funds it, where the person would hit 10 races on a day, you could only bet a ten dollar. You could bet like ten, twenty dollar ticket at most, and it's something like that where it's a life changing score to someone who just wants to wager ten to twenty dollars a day. They can pick the horses, and if they're ten for ten correct, they get a million dollars. Simple as that. I mean, it's a little out there, but stuff like that. We need new betting games, matchups. Uh, we need uh, matchups. Uh, there's tons of stuff we could do, and it's just it's so, we're so outdated and so caught up with. Oh, the game's good as it is, but they really know deep down inside without the computer money. And, you know, I mean, I'm glad what Naira did, man. I've been playing Naira all week now because the pick five, and guess what? The pick fives are paying better to the average Joe who are betting instead of these computer guys who have basically filtered down your payments and your payouts for years now. And they have, these tracks allow them to do it. Now I'm glad someone's stepping up. But to get the young guy in, you need... They really need to, I mean, coaching, listen, I, I, I'm i hard on the Sonics and Belinda and all them, but they, they had the right idea. I mean, I know that they get killed with the lifestyle and all that stuff and the glitz and the glamour, but you know what? Sometimes that attracts fans, but they need to really know their customer first. They really need to know the 20 to 40-year-old guy and, and possibly girl who are gamblers and want to want to evolve in this, but how do they get their friends? How do they get their, most most people who get into horse race betting is done by a family member. Let's be honest; it's either your father took you to the track, your uncle, your your you know your grandfather, and you've been you were hooked ever since. You got that in your blood. If it's in your blood, there's nothing you could do. I'm going to be betting horses till I'm 95. Knock on wood, you know. That's it's it's just tough. I've been betting on horses since I was. 13 years old. I was at the OTB in New York just, like, hanging outside telling my father which, which horse is the best for me. I mean, it's, it's in your blood. Once, once my father took me to the Meadowlands and I was hooked and I've been to Aqueduct, I've been 
going to racetracks since I was 13. I'm 40 now. I, I will go to racetracks until I'm 95. It's just in the, now, but how do how does the 22 year old now whose father's not into horse racing? How does he go to the to uh, a racetrack now and he sees what's going on? Oh, the horse was three to one in the game. Now it's six to five. I'm getting nothing. Like, what's the point? Like, I could go better on sports. I mean, that would be my interest. But you got to switch up the whole philosophy of the game. You got to really attract the younger crowd because without the younger crowd getting introduced by a family, this game is going to die. And I and I hate to say it, but it, it, it will eventually happen. You know, sooner or later, it will be gone. You know, one of the the contradictions of this sport is that um, <laughs> I got in a, a little bit of a debate the other day about people say well racing is going to lose its slot money and i say well uh, depends depends on how you look at it the horsemen are going to lose their money but aren't the tracks part of racing and if a track has a casino that they were only granted because of the presence of racing it's kind of um yeah i i, I understand the you know life in a big city and but uh, uh, things aren't always fair. But the tracks aren't losing their their percentage. Nowhere are the tracks losing their percentage. When you hear politicians talk about you know getting back some of that money, that's just the money that comes to to, to the horsemen. It's not money that comes to the track at parks. When they when when the the, the moron governor of, of Pennsylvania, um, when he is 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 trying to take all of the money almost. He's only taking purse money. He's not taking any money from parks from their bottom line. And and that's wrong. That's that's decidedly wrong. Um but it's it's very hard for the horsemen to go and and uh go to the politicians and throw the track under the bus and say, "Hey, listen, you, why are you just taking our money? Why don't you take some of their money too?" Uh I can say it because, you know, I'm not part of that. But that's part of the problem is that the tracks aren't losing their portion. If they were losing their portion or a portion, then they would certainly be far more interested in developing the game and, and growing the, the racing part of the game as it is now in a lot of ways. And uh, I don't want to hear people that say, oh, we told you so, told you so, told you so. Because let me ask you this question. Where do you think racing would be in a lot of jurisdictions had we not had um, the slot money? Oh, agreed, yeah. It would be People dead. It would be over. It would have been dead. I mean, we're already complaining about closed tracks. Forget it, man. Right. I mean, I honestly think in some aspect, though, we should close some tracks. I know there's arguments against and for that, but I honestly think in some regards, we need to close some tracks. And it would make the game better. It, it would honestly make the, it would it would hurt some people's jobs. And I hate to say that people's careers and lives. And I mean, like, but like, if you, I, you know, I don't I don't agree. Five horse fields. Like, come I know, on, but man. I don't I don't agree because the racing is still a very regional game. And yes, if Santa Anita failed to, if, if California racing left, okay, sure, Baffert would he would relocate and. John Sadler would relocate, then Doug O'Neill would relocate, and Phil D'Amato would relocate, um, and some of the bigger guys. But a lot of the guys would, would, would not. They would just go away. So you'd be shrinking the game, and you'd be bringing the same type of horses with the same type of trainers to different places. And in the end, the competition, um, I think uh, I, I'm actually having O'Crunk on, uh, we're doing a special podcast, a Crunk cast, because he to me, does the best job 
breaking the numbers down, the handle numbers. Um, he he doesn't have um, a bias. He doesn't work for a track or or an organization that that's trying to sell us something. He he's just a, yeah. a, an unbiased observer that likes to break down the numbers. And I'm having him on. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do something tomorrow, and and I believe you're on tomorrow night or, or on thir- out on Thursday. And I want to get his opinion on a lot of things because the one thing that he's been talking about since the pandemic started is a lot of the growth that we've seen in handle isn't on the big tracks. It's on the B-level tracks. Yeah. So yeah, you see the Forner, Forner, the Forner, like, uh, percentages? It was wild. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that was wild. You know, so, so I, I mean, I'm really interested to um, to have him on and to, to talk about, you know, some of the things that he's seen and the trends. And, and, and to me, the one kind of scary thing is uh, <laughs> um, it's a little scary that sometimes the numbers that were given by the tracks don't jive with his numbers. And and you just wonder sometimes, like, all right, I mean, who's telling the truth? Why, you know, certainly he's getting his information from wherever, you know, the sources he's able to do it. But he doesn't yeah. have an agenda. He doesn't. He's not trying to prom- keep his job. He's not uh, trying to impress yeah, anyone. No agenda. So, yeah, so no agenda. I think it's that it's going to be really matter. interesting having him on because um, I, I think he's a really, really smart guy, and he's an analytical thinker, and he understands the gaming aspect. He understands um, the purse aspect, um, how it relates to uh, handle, relates to um, uh, purses and things like that. Um, so. Uh, I think that one of the things is that at the top of the game, there's such a monopoly that if you close a couple of small tracks, it's not really going to do that much for those tracks because the guys coming over are all lower tier guys. They're not going to provide competition for Chad Brown or Todd Pletcher or, or, or those guys. They're they're just you know claiming guys, and a lot of their owners are local, and they they you know we, a lot of guys from. Florida own horses. Uh, a lot of yeah. owners, uh, you know, have horses in Florida because they like to visit Florida. Uh, most of the, you know, California owners are from California, and you know, for them to have horses in the East Coast, it, it it's. Uh, I mean, a lot of guys listen. They're just addicts like the rest of us, and they're going to have horses yeah. because they love having horses. But it, it's not the same when you can't go see your horses. When it, it take you got to get on an airplane. To go see a race, or, or to you know, to, to really be fully invested and not not being able to be involved in your local state bred program, so to me, it, it's just a restructuring is really required more than just uh, elimination. And and I think we've seen too. Um, I think the the lessons of Fonner Park and Will Rogers Downs last year was that content, regardless of how. Um, uh, low in quality, it seems. If there's nothing else, the guys are still going to bet. <laughs> and when you don't have racing on a particular day, those guys are probably betting overseas or betting something else, or they're going to get into, you know, now with sports, they're going to get into sports, or they're going to uh, play poker, or they're going to do something else. Because a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of the handle is, is going to migrate other places. If we just think that we can only run. Uh, Saturday afternoons and, and and keep this game solid. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I just I just don't. Yeah, listen, I'm with I'm with you too. And, and, and I agree with some of your stances on there. And like 
kind of disagree. Like I, I'm talking about from the guy who like pumps in money each and every single day. Like I would love to see larger fields. Like I, that's what I would love. To, I would love to see a better, better, better product. Maybe that's selfish of me to think so. And uh, listen, I love Oakland Park. I think Oakland Park does their racing meet really well. I think Churchill does their racing meet well. I love Keeneland. I mean, those tracks could survive. But do we really need Mohagany Valley? Do we really need uh, Thistle Downs? Do we really need? Uh, uh, Belterra, do we need do we need these tracks? Really, I understand that like they serve a purpose, but th- there comes a point that like this is other horses should be shipped to other places where you know, I mean the fields are bigger and it gives us better, better, better product. Maybe we even shut it down for a little. Like you know, if we're not fielding the horses. Let's just shut it down, and then whenever the horses come around, we'll build it back up. But. I guess it's just like a well-oiled machine that it's going to keep going and going until sooner or later, you know, it dries out. But I mean, even like, I mean, I guess we could say COVID. I was, I was unhappy with the Saratoga meet this past year and a lot of people didn't chip in their horses. So that's fair. So we see that aspect of the game too. So there comes a point where sooner or later we do have to get the young fan involved because you you've been around the racetrack your whole life too, Chuck, and you see you see the people with uh, respirators walking around. You see people like, where are the young guys? Where are the guys having fun? I mean, there are a couple. Listen, one of my best days ever at the racetrack. I'm not even joking. Like I've been to the racetrack, no joke in my life, maybe over ten thousand times. One of my best times I ever had at the track was just recently too, with a couple of my friends on Twitter, my boy Dylan. Uh, Dan Boshu and uh, well, Sweezy, the trainer, Sweezy and uh, Tom. We were just we were outside Ten Palms. We were smoking cigars. We were all rooting for each other. We were all high fiving each other and having fun, like cracking jokes with each other. We would laugh at someone else's pick. We we didn't always like we had one ticket together, but we also played the horses we loved, and we were just having fun. We were having drinks, and it was like one of those times where like you think you know what this is how horse racing should be. A bunch of friends. Hanging around, joking, laughing, watching, betting. We stood the whole entire card. We stood until after after the races are over. We, we did a little turfway, and then we said, "Let's get going." Yeah, it, that's how I look at horse racing. It should be it should be it should be friends getting together, betting, and introducing more friends to the great game. Because in reality, horse race betting is a great game to bet on. It's the value will always be there. People don't realize you could bring a hundred dollars to the track and leave with a hundred thousand if your day goes right. You you bring a hundred dollars to a casino, chances are you're done. I mean, yeah, there's those wonder stories that happen in life. You know, I hit a progressive jackpot or whatever, but you're going to the casino, you're going home broke with a hundred dollars. You could spend the whole day at a racetrack with a single hundred dollars and have have one of the times of your life. And it's just, and you know what? You also have a say in it. You, if you know how to read a program, or you know, you could read, you see how a horse looks at the track. You, you evaluate him there. You have a say in what you pick and what you gamble on, and that's what's great too, man. Nope, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, listen, I, I appreciate your time, and um, you know, we'll we'll bat around a couple more ideas on Twitter and come up with. Awesome, uh, man. Come up with some yeah. other, you know. Yeah, get, I'll be get some, Florida, get, to you, so we'll get together. We'll get, go to get some guys, oh. uh, you know, get some some guys to come up with some new ideas too, and and, and we'll talk about them. And that's right, the best go. the best and way I, to do I'll this is the, the pomp. Hopefully, in a week or two. Oh, the pomp's been killing me. <laughs> you want to talk about? You want to talk about <laughs> jockeys? There was one ride drive the other day in harness that I felt like killing a driver, and I don't want to mention his name because they. There was one drive I watched at the pomp. He did one of the craziest drives I ever like. 
and then, and then the horse, like, he, he just talked the horse out the entire, the whole entire race. I'm like, he didn't even, he said, I don't care. I'm just going to try and kill this. I think it was the chalk in the lead, and I'll never forget. He killed the chalk. Like, he tried to, like, burn up the chalk, right. and uh, he killed this horse. There, 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 there have been... Sister. There have been some interesting drives. I mean, last night Ken, Ken Holiday turned into John Campbell for one race. But um, <laughs> anyways, thank thanks for your time again. Uh, thanks for having me I appreciate on, your your your, uh, your your frankness and uh, you know uh, even without your actual jockey skills. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Brother. All right, thank you. That's the great Swift hitter. Uh, we'll be back, and we got a little bit of time. Kim Weir from the TRF will be with us in just a minute. Why, in the past decade, has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA-supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them, is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bread racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. All right. Uh, the great Swift hitter. Got a lot of ideas, and uh, I mean, the guy... He he doesn't just uh, you know he 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 plays he's he bets a lot so it's not uh, you're not getting the, uh, the 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 theoretical version of of gambling you're getting a guy who actually does it. Um, speaking of uh, well, not gambling but um, doing the right thing for horses, uh, we welcome back uh, Kim Weir from the TRF. Kim, how are you? Chuck, I am doing great. So nice to be with you on this wintry afternoon up here in Saratoga. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Everyone's sick of hearing me saying, well, you know, it's not that wintry here because it's uh, in the 80s, but uh, <laughs> we, we all have our crosses to bear. Um, um, That's right. We, That's only, right. we only have about seven or eight minutes to talk about um, your new project, but uh, I see you guys have something um, next week uh, with a new project. You guys are working with uh, some, some people down in Florida. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a very exciting thing, and I'll make the most of just a couple minutes. They're so precious and, and much appreciated, Chuck, just to share this good news story that um, has a long tail. We've been working on this for years, and that's not an over-exaggeration. This, um, this began in probably 2017 with a Google search from the Department of Juvenile Justice in Florida and has resulted in what will happen next Tuesday. The 23rd of February, we will reveal for the world the first ever TRS Second Chances Juvenile Program. So it is the very first time that we're taking our model of putting our beloved retired racehorses in a situation where they'll be teaching, as they do across the country in our prison program. But in this case, they will be working with young men ages 12 to 18 in a residential juvenile justice program. Um, so it's a game changer. It's a it's a groundbreaking first, and we are just so 
so excited, and it is happening right there in Ocala, Florida. So that's what we're going to be focusing on over the weeks ahead, but especially next Tuesday. Well, that's great. And so, so these are um, these are younger guys, um, yeah. That uh, you know might uh, you know catch an interest in, in, in taking care of uh, of horses and you know therapy for them, therapy for the horses. It really is, and it's one of the words that I've found us using a lot. Uh, is this? It's possibly, hopefully, trajectory changing for these young men. Um, they they are still at a very very. Uh, malleable time in their lives, as we all remember our teenage years, and it's when a lot of um, a lot of decisions are made that then send us on a path. And uh, these guys are—they've had some encounter with the law. This is how you end up in a residential facility with DJJ. Is they've they've had an encounter with the law that adjudicated them into a residential facility. This is a relatively low security, uh, kind of low low risk. I mean, they're they're fully. Um, in a residential facility, but they are, there's lots of hope for them. And sure. our horses are a part of that. And they're going to help them see a path, we hope, towards a much brighter future and, and all kinds of career opportunities. So you're right to say it's both, uh, it's the skills-based programming we always do in our Second Chances programs. It's got a vocational element, but it also really, really gets to emphasize the therapeutic part. We're, we're really baking that in more than ever with this program because these boys need, they need that. And um, we're so excited about it. So Tuesday next week, all that, what will happen is it's a live streaming event. It's on the 23rd. It'll probably just be a half hour. Anyone can watch from anywhere that they are. This is all the technology we've learned <laughs> since, since we last talked. And um, we can tune in. You can meet our program manager. You can see the horses that are there um, and just hear what this is. The rest of the story gets better and better because from here on we get to share the stories of these young men and, and all that happens next. But it's a, it's a first, it's a beginning that's come with a long journey to get to this. To, kind of like the horses to the starting gate. It takes a long time to get them to the starting gate. And for us, that's what this program represents. Well, that, that's really great. And, and uh, I'm happy that you guys are able to expand to, to, new, uh, to new areas of the country and, and certainly to, um, you know, to younger guys who, uh, who might be able to, um, you know, make a life of this and, and kind yeah. of, uh, I mean, there's certainly lots of opportunities in, in the Ocala area, um, to For work sure. with horses, whether, whether it be race horses or, or there's, you know, all kinds of show horses. They have that new, uh, a world equine, uh, facility there that's like supposed to be, you know, gigantic. Yeah, I've been hearing about it, and I drove by it last year this time when it was still under construction. So there are so many breeds and so many horse people in Ocala, and just frankly, like you say, so many jobs that um, it's it's really exciting to give these young men a chance to see what a different life might look like. And we have, it's a segue, and I won't overstay my time today, but um, this program, the, the boys' program, is right next door to our one and only women's prison program which is also right there in Ocala, mm -hmm. these, these horses are actually working in both programs as we get this new one off the ground. And so that's a story you'll be hearing me. I'll be asking to come back and tell you about our women's program that's celebrating 20 years this year. And that one has been putting great individuals into the workforce for two decades, and we'll get to tell those stories. So um, we know there's opportunities, but, you know, you gotta you got to teach the skills and give the exposure and um, – that's what we're going to be doing with this new program. Well, that's that's really great. And uh, anytime, Kim, anytime you have anything to uh, to talk about, to promote, to uh, any way we can help, 
the TRF and and the the horses and the people involved uh, are certainly willing to to give you as much time and uh, you know promote you as as uh, strongly as we possibly can. Uh, tell everyone well, what, where what um, where can you find the link? To- yes. So the details are pretty simple. So if you'll go to our website, which you'll, I'll, I'll say right now is www.trsinc.org. And you just go to our website, there'll be a pop-up window right away for this new program launch. Um, you can also go to the events tab and find it. But it will be streaming live on YouTube and Facebook. So that'll be happening at 10 o'clock in the morning next Tuesday. And then it will be available to be watched afterwards. And it really is just a chance to meet people, to see our program manager and the horses. Um, and so we'd love it if people tune in. There's no tickets or anything. You just click a link and listen and watch and see what we're up to. And uh, from there, you know, the sky's the limit. This is just the beginning of a program. We'll be talking about lots and lots and ways for folks to get involved. And, and you're giving us this opportunity to share the, the story. Uh, Chuck is just an incredible gift. So you're so kind and uh, appreciate these platforms to let your audience know of the good work that's happening. And it doesn't happen without a lot of support. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No problem at all. Like I said, Kim, anything that we can do to help uh, to try to get the word out, whatever it is that uh, we can be of assistance of, we will certainly do. And uh, appreciate the the work that you guys are doing. It, it's it's important work, and uh, it's a, it's a you know it's it's a segment of our industry that uh, is finally starting to catch up um, with with some other areas, and that uh, for you know too long um, our horses were not uh you know properly taken care of once their racing careers were over and and it uh you know the fact that you guys are not only able to take care of the horses but but to do a service for for people as well is is just a great thing and i, I can't uh i can't promote this uh enough it's it's really awesome you are a true ambassador of Chuck, and it is a pleasure to be here so thank you ever so much for including me today anytime kim thank you very much and uh, try to stay warm I will do it. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, Kim Weir. That's Kim Weir from the TRF. They have uh, uh, a new program starting up in Ocala with uh, the younger younger people who have gotten a little little jammed up in their life who, who are going to learn to work with horses and hopefully wind up being uh, finding a, a life in them, a, a vocation, and, and uh, you know, good. If you, if you can work with horses, you can find a job held pretty much anywhere. There's horses are everywhere, so... It's a really great program, and, and they do a fantastic job. And any support that you guys can give certainly would be would be uh, would be uh, uh, appreciated. Uh, I want to thank Ron Moquette. Um, if he hasn't turned into a penguin by this point, for tuning in from uh, from Arkansas, the the frozen tundra of Hot Springs, Arkansas, for. For his little update on what's going out there, and uh, and Whitmore, Whitmore may or may not be able to uh, to make a start at Oaklawn based upon you know this delay, but uh, hopefully Whitmore is is back in the entry soon. And I want to thank uh, Swift Hitter for his uh, his view from the gambler side, and uh, certainly it, it's a side that needs to be um, heard from and. You know some of the ideas he has and, and has come up with, uh, they're they're they're, they're starts. Uh, they're someplace in in some ways it's a starting place to try to get to try to get some new ideas kicked off and and to try to at the very least change some attitudes in in the the horse racing business where 
where um, you know we're, we're a little bit more open um, to guys that, that that want to be involved. They want to they want to bet. Let's not uh, let's not make them pay through the, the the nose for for data, and let's not confuse them. Let's give them what they want to to, to take care of. You know, to, to bet to to being to give them what what they feel comfortable with, and move this business forward. Because uh, if if you're not moving forward, you know we're gonna be we're gonna be dead in the water. But uh, thanks, of course, to Casey and everyone, everyone listening. Uh, again, uh, we're going to have a special um, podcast tomorrow or Thursday, depending on on when we can get that uh, process. That's with Oak Crunk. It's about the numbers of the business, the handle numbers. Some people will be interested, some people won't. But um, it, it's it's going to be, uh, I think, in my opinion, fascinating if you're involved in the business from an owner standpoint or from a better standpoint. There's a lot of things that I think he's going to uh, enlighten us with uh, that you just information you're just not getting anywhere else. So we'll have him uh, in a special podcast tomorrow. Um, again, uh, thanks uh, to Casey and uh, for putting up with me and uh, everyone who listened and, and has uh, you know sent emails or tweets or or uh, messages. Uh, appreciate it. And um, any ideas you guys have? Anybody? You want me to have on any anything you want me to cover? Just uh, don't be afraid to ask. All right. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast.